This is the Education Business Podcast for consultants and business owners providing services in schools. I'm Claire Riley, and I'll be sharing how to start, grow, and scale your education business. Hello, so this is the first episode where we are interviewing somebody else in the education world that me and Ed know that we can learn so much from. So I want to say a massive thank you and welcome to Monique. Hello, and thank you, Ed and Claire, for having me. So honestly, you're going to be blown away by the experience that she has. We want to learn so much from her today, us as well as you. And um, yeah, we're just we're just so excited to to get talking to Monique. So do you want to just tell us? I mean, I I could do an introduction, but I just won't do it very well. Um, so do you want to tell us how you got to the point of where you are today? So currently, you're the MD at RM Resources. How did how did you get into that position? <laughs> uh, so thank you for the big introduction. I try to live up to it. So I guess um, I'll start at the beginning. Um, and you know, I'm pretty much just an ordinary person, same as same as everybody else is. Um, I come from Leicester, I come from a council estate in Leicester, uh, from a single parent family with my mum and my sisters, and um, didn't have perhaps the perhaps the traditional start that many people would see in a corporate executive world. I think it's probably fair to say I was a bit of a rebel. Um, I initially kind of left school quite early and uh, went and worked. Kind of back in those days, worked in kind of factories and very much in the Leicester Leicester industrial area and kind of bars and and restaurants. And it wasn't until I was 22 I decided that I was going to go back to university and had a think about what I would do. Um, seems odd now, might, might seem very odd to you as educationalist, but I was the first person, still am, the only person in my family to go to university. So, you know, quite a, quite a break in the norm for, for the area that I grew up in. So I went to university, um, did marketing and business, which is, you know, quite, quite a good broad base for pursuing lots of options uh, in, in any sector. And then started my early career with Next. I think I was probably the f- one of the first, one of the first half a dozen at least to be a graduate within merchandising for, for them. Had uh, 12 great years with Next, kind of kind of did a bit of a boomerang, left and went elsewhere, but it kind of returned to a career there. And really after that, did quite a traditional, I would say, kind of business development roadmap, working for retailers, um, moving around, climbing the ladder as you do, and and getting some experience in product, really product, customer brand, digital, and all of the things uh, that I guess we take a quite as commonplace today. But you know, going back to the '90s, things like digital were quite emerging, quite emerging um, technologies. So I had a very good grounding. I guess the question is, how did I end up at RM, which is quite different from consumer. And I guess I would say um, you get to a point in your career, you two won't be there yet, but you'll be some years behind <laughs> me, but you may, you, may, you may get there, where I think I was looking for a bit more than just the progression and the grade, if you like. Um, they're kind of important. I think they're very important when you're young, kind of markers of success. But uh, I think as I got older, I was looking to do something that was perhaps more fulfilling and just uh, a bit of a different challenge. So when the call came about this opportunity, I was really intrigued. Um, 
I'd become a school governor a few years earlier because I care very much about education and not just on the CV. I mean, I really care about it. I think I went to a very tough school and, as I said, first person to go to uni. So I really know what it can do if you have a good education. So I'd, I'd been a couple of years as a school governor when this opportunity came up and I thought, I'll just go and see, <laughs> go and see what it's like. Um, and I loved the people. Uh, I met some great people through the interview process. Um, I've got to say, I've never heard the word pedagogy used so many times in an hour. <laughs> I, think I'd never use that, I think I'd never used that word in, you know, 40 plus years. Um, but it was used a lot. I had to, I had to go and make sure I knew what it meant after the interview. Um, but I guess um, I loved the people. I didn't know much about RM, honestly. I'd never heard of them. But I knew they were on a journey. Um, I knew they were really passionate. I knew they had really genuine values, which is very, very much um, what it says on their corporate tin, you know, enriching the lives of learners worldwide. It really means something to the people there. So uh, after a bit of uh, deliberation, and I I wasn't sure, uh, I decided to give it a go. And thankfully, um, the CEO, uh, the CFO, the people that interviewed me, were quite open-minded and forward-thinking. So somebody of my background, nature, ethnicity, gender, isn't well represented in leadership Mm. within this sector. So it was a a break from the mould for them. And I'm very appreciative that they have a very inclusive approach to leadership. So they took a chance on me and I took a chance on them. And I guess that's how I got to be here. That feels like, feels like loads, <laughs> feels like I've shared loads with you. But I guess that was it, looking for something else, being incredibly lucky, finding that something else that, that was a good fit for me and um, an RM feeling the same. Oh, I absolutely love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing deep. That's exactly what we want. Um, I've got so many questions. So uh, how, so was it that you were um, sort of asked to apply for that? And and if that's a, like, how did you prepare for the interview knowing it's a completely different sector? Yeah, so I was asked to apply, which is kind of off in the way, I guess, at you know, kind of senior executive mm. levels. And um, I wasn't sure, first of all, with these things, you have to kind of get your head around it. Do I, do I even think I could do this job? And yeah, <laughs> I don't know about you. But I kind of at times have that real imposter syndrome and just think, why would they want me? You know, what do I know about education? So I didn't really focus for the interview on learning lots and lots about education because that's just impossible. You know, that's impossible as as a a non-expert to do that in a crash course. You just, you know, you can't and you wouldn't want to fake it in an interview. So I focused more on understanding the business model that they had, you know, what they do, what they sell. And I guess the really important bit is who's the customer, because that's the one thing that you have in common, whatever business you work in, or if you're in a good business, that should be what you care about. So I focused more on thinking about what's important to teachers and practitioners. You know, Mm -hmm. what do they really want if they're buying resources? and try to think about it from that way. Uh, I did some research on the competition, whose names I won't mention, because I'm not going to promote them on your podcast. But of <laughs> course, but of course, uh, I looked at the competition. And, and I also took a look at the cultures and values of the business and whether that felt, as best you can, whether that felt like it might be a good fit for me or not. Uh, mm. Because, you know, 
ultimately, for me, that's kind of the big number one thing. Do you think you can enjoy being there? So that's how I prepared and uh, didn't do too badly, I think. I think hopefully I did okay. <laughs> you obviously did very well. Mm. Um, just, just you, you touched on imposter syndrome and I think that's so interesting because, I mean, we all know, we all know here, oh, imposter syndrome comes up all the time. And one of the questions I often get asked is, at what point do you get over imposter syndrome? And the answer is, you don't. Um, and I was talking to our MD about it yesterday um, and she was saying, you know, can I even do this job? I didn't think I could do this job. Just like you said. So have you got any tips for just <laughs> ignoring it? Um, well, I think for me, probably the same as a lot of people, it comes when you're under a lot of pressure. It kind of comes when things are the most difficult. I think, I think you love yourself, don't you, when things are going well? And then in those times of challenge, you kind of have a lot of self-doubt. So I think ultimately it comes down to recognising what you've done and taking just that bit of time to see achievements rather than just challenges. And I, I think if you can even find, you know, 15 minutes in a week to think about the things that have gone well for you that you've done, that, you know, you've personally done, I think it helps to build your confidence up in those moments when you might otherwise struggle. But I also think as we are doing now, and as your MD, MD did yesterday, she's great talking about it. So, you know, I, I'm probably won't name those, but many people mention this to me. And I think, particularly for us women, we often feel it in, in the workplace. So I think not being afraid to, to talk about it and say, hey, you know, I'm having a bit of a crisis of confidence at the minute and sharing that with people. So, yeah, I, I, that's always the route for me, being very open. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Edward, do you agree? Yeah, I do agree. I think it's, um, I think it's something we all face, um, really. I think it's one of those things that we shouldn't brush under the carpet. Um, I think it's one of those things that's really important to talk about because some people might be sat there thinking, listening to this, thinking, gosh, that, that's me. I feel that. And it's okay to feel that as well. I think that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's normal. Yeah, for sure. And I think for men, probably less open to talking about things generally. So mm -hmm. wait, wait, say you specifically, Ed, but I do find in my team, the women will often talk about things more openly and yeah. men find it just that bit harder to, to have those conversations and self-reflection. So definitely encourage everyone to, to, to not be afraid not not to be afraid, just not to be perfect all the time. It's just, you know, it's an impossible mm. thing. Yeah. yeah. But that's yeah. so so important as well, isn't it, to know that you're, I mean, when we think of it um, from a manager's perspective, if you know that your manager also feels those feelings and knows it's okay to not be perfect, I think that just gives you that extra permission, doesn't it, to know that, do you know what, this is fine. Yeah, and I think this week, am I right in thinking it was World Mental Health Day on Monday? Mm. So we definitely had, and, and I've, I feel quite proud at RM that it is definitely a community where it, uh, employees are really encouraged to be open mm. about where they have challenges and just to, just to talk comfortably about things that are not great for them. And yeah. it was funny, on Sunday night, one of, my, one of my direct reports, and a male, she sent me a message about 10 o'clock and I said hey what are we doing for World Mental Health Day what are we doing and I just thought it was great um that he felt really open to kind of 
prodders and pushers to make sure that we did have plans in place and we were yeah, yeah. communicating and engaging. So it shows the world has changed. I don't think that would ever have happened in the kind of first 20 or so years of my career. They just were not mm. things that you talked about openly. Yeah. Go on. Sorry. Do you think that's something that's sector specific as well? How would you compare the education sector to, say, the retail sector? based on your um, experience? I mean, I can only, I can only confer, compare from RM's experience, mm. and uh, whereas from kind of consumer and retail, I have a lot of experience. RM's definitely more open. Mm. And I suspect that's probably a bit more reflective of the industry. Now, I don't know why that should be, really, because we're all the same people, ultimately. But I guess my sense in some of the organisations I've been in they're a little bit more aggressive, if you like, uh, mm-hmm. in commercial goals. Yeah. And therefore, commercial success and strength um, is very important. Mm-hmm. And I guess almost a little bit of a badge of honour if you can cope with a lot of pressure and mm-hmm. you know be on that treadmill. Whereas I certainly don't see that at RM. I think um, the work's hard and it's pressurised. Mm-hmm. But there's no prizes for being the most under pressure person. It doesn't kind of help you climb the career path. Whereas there's lots of recognition for being open and honest mm. and not being afraid to be a little bit vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think I, I, I suspect that is probably indicative of the sector, but definitely uh, the nature of RM. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. And, you know, we've talked before, haven't we? we there's quite a... Uh, a number of similarities, I think, between the culture that we're building at Classroom Secrets and the culture that that you're um, sort of, I, I don't want to say cultivate, but um, tending and, and, and growing at RM. Yeah, I think so. And I think for us as well, we're definitely an organisation that's evolving, evolving. And I think as your customer changes and, you know, what's important to them changes, you kind of need to keep some constants in your business, you know, which is the things that you really value. But you also do need to adapt a bit and, mm. and, and learn and change. And I think we're definitely going through that period of transition now. And as I'm sure you will be, as you think about the market, the customer impacts, all the things mm. that teachers and practitioners are struggling with now and, and challenged by. Some things remain really, really important to them, therefore to us, me and you. Um, But some things change and, you know, you kind of have to move with that change as well. And and, and that's definitely that agility, that ability to change direction when needed and and not be afraid to do so is definitely kind of a part of our blueprint I'm trying to really develop and, and nurture. Yeah, yeah. And understand the customer again on a new level because, um. I mean, for, for us, obviously, a lot of us have been teachers and we're constantly trying to understand, you know, um, if we haven't been in the classroom for a while, what what's changed? And, um, you know, somebody joined the business recently and, and they, they said a really nice thing, actually, because I think sometimes we worry so much about, oh, what's changed? And, and they kind of said, you're worried a lot about what's changed. And yes, some things have changed, but teaching is also teaching and and, you know, have that confidence as well in, what you do know, but just try and think of it in a different lens and, and things that have changed. I always think that's really interesting. Do you, do you worry about it? Do you worry you're losing touch? You need to go back in the classroom for a few terms. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I think some of the, the um, people who are creating resources do worry about that, even though we have some still in the classroom. Yeah. But I think um, 
what they're doing though is becoming absolute experts in the curriculum and still talking to to teachers who are there so it's it's a balance isn't it um some in knowledge and some in confidence yeah I I totally agree and we have the same um by the way I mean I've never been a teacher so I I can't um they were their skills that I am yet to develop but we do have within our product development team particularly uh, some of our um, experts most direct teachers so for one thing most direct teachers but um some of them still teach today specifically for that reason mm. just to stay connected so we, we have yeah. one um one lady who specifically teaches not every week but uh, goes in and teaches specific times of the year to stay in contact with how things are being delivered in the classroom yeah we have, we have some that don't and we have some that do but I, I think you're absolutely right just becoming that curriculum expert whether you're delivering it in the classroom in the day or you're just very very um up to date with what's changing what the different priorities are what the latest thoughts and, and learnings are really valuable and yeah. I think at the end of the day, I mean, my kids have just left school this year. So touch wood. Um, hope for <laughs> I don't think it's that different, really. I mean, mm. the rules uh, rules and behaviour is definitely very different. Mm. But they're learning the same things we were learning. I was learning, you were learning. Yeah. Teachers have got the same desires for their for their children that they had 20 and 30 years ago. You know, everyone wants to do well. Everyone wants to raise attainment. So I also say it's kind of not brain surgery. It, it, you know, we, we all worry about everything in business all the time, but it's children going to school to learn, you know, mm. to, have, to have hopefully have great outcomes later in life. And, and I think that's a constant for us all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully have great outcomes. I'm talking about my children now, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully <laughs> we can get three, 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 three years in college. Yeah, I hope so. And I um, suppose as well, we've got the the kind of benefit nowadays of having so, like social media platforms where we can oh, really connect with our customers, can't we? And listen to what they're saying and the challenges yeah. they're facing, which is really helpful. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think communications in every which way is very different now, isn't it? Not the mm. communications and assessment, not the once a year kind of march in mm. front of the teacher and hear what's going on in the classroom, but that ability to be able to just, as you say, you know, pick up what's being shared on social media, mm. look at what questions and challenges teachers and practitioners are posting, and, and, and also just be part of not, not just professional groups, but just local community groups, mm. lots and lots of um, groups where teachers just choose to engage collectively that we always find really interesting. It's not necessarily what's done formally all the time, but it's those informal, mm. those informal WhatsApp groups and, and um, Twitter groups that we get a lot from just, just listening mm. to, to what teachers are talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because it's, it's always in the detail that they say, isn't it? Not in, not in the sweeping statements. It's in the detail of, of the problems. I think that we can find better solutions for them. Just, um, to sort of bring bring us back, do you so in in teaching? Um, I suppose so. A lot of the um, listeners of Education Business Club now have um, a business, but we want a teacher. That's not everybody, but a lot. And I think as teachers, we always feel like, oh, it's different in education business. It's just not the same. The business rules do not apply. It's different. I suppose. I suppose really, I wanted to find out. What what do you, what are your thoughts coming from um, a more aggressive <laughs> um, sector into education? Is there any truth in that? Is it is it wrong? Is it 
medium what do you think <laughs> oh, under pressure I think there is some truth in it I I think there is some truth in it so what's the same uh, you've got commercial goals you have to deliver you know if you want to be successful in a business financially successful you might you might have other goals but if you want to be financially successful there are just some things that are very standard how you think about finances running your business measuring your business so that's that's no different I think I think where money comes from is different because if you think about funding mm. for schools it's not discretionary you can't just decide as a teacher I fancy like splashing out on a new coat this weekend or I'm, I'm going to redecorate the house you know you've got a finite pot of money mm. that's got to be delivered against certain aims and therefore how you spend it and who you spend it with is really really important mm. so I think the commercial um, impact of that is you've got to have great product you've got to understand what the teacher needs or the practitioner needs and it's got to do the job so it's quite difficult not that I would say we do it but it's quite difficult to sell in products or resources that aren't great because mm-hmm. teachers will see through it very quickly yeah um, and no amount of marketing or spin or discounting is going to make a poor product successful in education and I wouldn't say that's the same in all sectors. I think, you know, clever yeah. marketing and um, product positioning can sell average products. But I don't think that's the case in our sector. I think you've got to have mm-hmm. something that, that, that teachers and practitioners want. Mm-hmm. I think um, the pace of change seems to be a bit slow in education. So on the one hand, that's good. Because I think if your customer likes you, then they can be very loyal. You know, if you just mm, look after yeah. them, do the right thing, they can be very loyal. And that's different to say consumer goods or fashion, whereby, you know, the latest brand can come in and wipe you out quite quickly if, if somebody mm. else uh, if chooses to. So that is different. And on my personal reflection, and I definitely would say this about your business, because when we've met before, you, you know, you talk very honestly about it. I think that desire to really do the right thing for the customer mm. and understand what the learning outcome is that, that a teacher or practitioner is trying to deliver is, is what I see all over education. When I go to events, when I go to seminars, when I hear people talking from inside the industry, it feels very, very, very genuine about mm. wanting to deliver a better outcome for children. Mm. I mean, ultimately that's not what most consumer sectors are about in many instances they're about delivering a better outcome for the business or Mm -hmm. the investor or the shareholder and those things are important but this is a sector that has a kind of a a, a more passion inspired goal so yes I'd I'd actually go with yes it is different if I you know if I had to put 10 quid on it one way or the other (laughs) it it is different I think they'll be pleased because um you've you've told us all we're right (laughs) (laughs) you are always right of course yes yeah I think I think so I mean I'm, I'm only not even four years in yet you know compared to a lot of years elsewhere but it feels different and in a good way yeah, I love that. Thank you, Ed. Do you want to uh, jump in? I feel like uh, you know you've struggled to talk. Two women chatting. Sorry, you said you might do. I, yeah, yeah. It's a challenge. Um, I I guess just following on from that, actually, I think the education sector is. I guess is it more sensitive to government policy change, change of governments, 
Um, would you say that that's the case? Yeah, I think, so. well, for sure, funding isn't it, isn't it? So mm. um, the nature of funding in the pot that teachers have is, 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 you know, I'm watching the news every week to, to see whether we have supporting statements from our governors or we have less supportive statements <laughs> from our governors. Yeah. So I think that's totally right. If education's high on government spending agenda, it's better for everybody. Mm. And and you know you win or you lose by that, um, so that's that's probably a negative. But the positive is the majority of the business that we do, almost all, is in state schools, mm. and state schools, as my strong belief is, they're never going away, yeah. and children are always going to need educating. Mm-hmm. So if you think about, for example, what happened through COVID, even though it was you know very very tough for for businesses like ours that that Mm -hmm. that rely on school incomes and and school spending what we did know is that schools aren't going to close that they're not going Mm. to go to the wall and when we come out of covid there will be Mm. schools and and nurseries and and customers who need our resources so you know i think you win as much as you lose from government uh Mm. government positioning Yeah, yeah. There's that certainty there, isn't there, of, of funding <laughs> Touch that will continue? Yeah. Touchwood, um, we're waiting. We're waiting for the next round of mini budgets, well, aren't we? So, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I mean um, that that is tough. And I think if you think about things like negotiated pay, fixed pay increases for teachers mm-hmm. that are kind of outside of the control of schools. You do in yes. a normal business, you can control what you do mm-hmm. with with pay reviews. You have a bit more bit more discretionary um, decision making. So. That is definitely harder from a school's perspective, I think. Mm. Mm. Just again, talks, sorry. Go on. It talks back to that point around having that really thought out quality product that really does help the learning outcome at the end of the day, really. It's kind of to stand out when challenging, we're kind of different challenging budgets and things yeah. and conflicting kind of priorities and things. That I mean, that's definitely what we see. Um, you know, we've got, we've got two brands and... Uh, we spend a lot of time thinking about how to have products in the portfolio, resources in the portfolio that you just couldn't get somewhere else. Therefore, if a, a teacher or practitioner has to make a choice, we try and make it a bit easier for them. Mm-hmm. But of course, um, cost is also important. Uh, what you pay for resources is also important. Mm-hmm. So for us, it's that balance between um, developing unique resources, which is expensive to do. There's, there's, you know, that's that's the the, the fact mm-hmm. of it. It's expensive. Product development's expensive. Being unique is expensive, but balancing that with the cost efficiencies that, that are so important at the moment, and, and will, mm-hmm. I think will be more important as we look forward. Mm-hmm. And I guess for me, it's trying to find that best all-over value. You might yes. not be the most expensive. You might not be the cheapest, but are you bringing the best value overall and and can you substantiate it you know can you really demonstrate that your resources will make a difference Mm. Mm. just just to close so one of um one of the things that listeners of this podcast often struggle with is around school budgets and um the fear oh my word there's school schools have a budget and they've got no money and so i should um maybe kind of take on responsibility for that and price my services like really, really low. Um, do you have any thoughts or any words of wisdom around that? Um, because obviously there is a, um, a set amount of money and we're all fighting for a piece of the pie. Um, but I always say that doesn't necessarily mean that you should make it 
super cheap so that you can't keep functioning or or you can't grow properly I mean, what, what you it's different for you, I suppose, because no, you, you, have, you have, but you have set costs as well. You know, you're not, so yeah. as for us, it, it feels more free because we don't, we've got digital products. We don't have physical products that we have to physically buy in. Yeah. You see, you've got more discretion, I guess. Um, I think it's the same the world over at the minute. You always have that, you always have that challenge about how much money do I need to make and you know, how much can my customers afford to pay? That's, you know, they're, I guess, the, the two questions. Um, I think ultimately, if you go down a route whereby you're continually reducing the price of your products because you think your customer can't afford them, it will only end in one place because, mm-hmm. you, you know, you, you will run out of road at some point of discounting and cutting. So I think our view is, We've got to be really cognizant of, of pressures on budgets. It's, it, you know, it's a, it's a really tough time for schools, really, really tough time. So we have to be. So we think very much about how we can help a school get the best value. Mm-hmm. So that might be by consolidated buying, getting schools to buy in a different way. Definitely with academization, um, lots of schools are able to leverage economies of scale through mm-hmm. negotiating with companies like TTS and Consortium. An RM in the wider group to say, you know, if we if we bought this service or resources collectively from you, it, mm-hmm. is it is it possible to have better prices? And generally, it is because for a company like ours, if we can get to economies of scale with a school group, we can we can definitely um, run more efficiently. Mm. So I think we're all thinking about those ways. You know, how do we how do we stop doing things that don't really add value for the customer? Therefore, you know, what we're we doing them for is it a bit of a vanity, a bit of a vanity parade if you're doing things that the customer actually doesn't want to pay for. So mm-hmm. we take yeah. as much of that out as we can. And then and I, I guess really thinking about what does a school need and trying to give those things at the best value and, uh, you know, perhaps being a bit more comprehensive in the types of pricing we have, you know, not everything at the very top end of the scale. Mm-hmm. But I think it's just the same as it is for you, really. You know, we're all, we're all facing the same cost increases. We've got the same customers. And it's just about running your business with that right balance, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Honestly, thank you so much. Um, I was like, oh, I'm going to stop this around 20 minutes. But I was like, oh, God, it's just too good. <laughs> Um, learning so much so I just want to say thank you so much um, on behalf of me and Ed mainly but obviously our listeners as well yeah thank you so much I've really enjoyed it and if you if you work out the secret (laughs) to pricing your product let me know share it with me uh, and I'll take it but yeah absolutely great to join you thank you and thank you to everyone who's listening oh thank you so much Thank you for listening to the Education Business Podcast. To get more information to grow your business, sign up at educationbusinessclub.co.uk.